All right, Central, how we doing? Everybody good? Hey, it's so good to see you here. Uh, my name is Sean, one of the pastors around here at Central. So glad that you are here with us this weekend. I uh, do want to welcome our online audience, those who are watching around the country, around the world. Great to have you. Also want to welcome our central locations. Big shout out to Summerlin and to Sunrise Mountain, to Southern Highlands, and our friends in Kingman, Arizona. It is great to have you. And as always, big shout out to our friends who join us through our partnership with God Behind Bars. We're excited to have you. Grateful you are here with us this weekend. Oh, for those of you who know me, you know that uh, I'm a dad to two boys. I've got a 12-year-old named Levi, a 10-year-old named Austin. I love being a dad. Truly, probably one of my favorite things on planet Earth is being a dad. But parenting is hard, right? I, I think that parenting is like folding fitted sheets. Nobody really knows how to do it. We're all just kind of winging it. It's really kind of my, my philosophy of parenting. And so I, I love being a dad, but there's a lot of times I don't really understand a lot of things. And frankly, there's just things that my kids do that I just don't understand. For example, uh, take their entertainment, like their, the things that they watch for entertainment. Uh, my kids don't really like watching TV. Uh, my kids don't really like watching a movie. They will watch a movie. Sometimes we'll do that together and it's fun. But what they really love is they love to watch YouTube. Like, love it. I mean, they can sit, if I allow them, they'll sit and they'll watch YouTube for hours and hours and hours. And I, I frankly don't get it. I mean, there's some things that I can watch on YouTube with them that I find a little bit funny. But there's some things that I, it just doesn't make sense. Like, I'll walk in and I'm watching them watch other people do things that they could be doing, but they're not doing. That doesn't make sense to me. Like, I'm watching, I, I go in there and, and, and my kids are watching other people play video games. How is that entertaining? I, I don't know, right? And so one time I, I, I finally just asked my oldest son, I said, help me understand this, bro. You could be playing the video game, you're not. You're watching other people play the game that you could be playing. That doesn't make any sense. And he looks at me, pauses for a moment, he looks at me and he goes, Dad, you do the same thing. I go, I do not. There's never been a moment in my life that I've watched other people play video games. I've never done that. I'm way more sophisticated than that. And without skipping a beat, he looked at me and goes, yeah, but you watch other people fix other people's houses on TV and I've never seen you fix a house. <laughs> well played, my friend, well played. Uh, because I love those shows. You with me on those shows? Uh, you know, whatever the Fixer Upper show, I mean, there's a ton of them. There's, there's a show called Fixer Upper. There's like a Property Brothers. Uh, there's a Flipper Flop. They're, they're all kind of a uh, little bit different angles on the same type of idea. That the host of the show, they walk into a property and it's an utter disaster. Like holes in walls, cracks in roof, toilet dislodged. I mean, it's a total disaster, right? And then they have this ability to see what I cannot see, right? I mean, I'm going in, I'm looking at this place and it is an absolute disaster, like small farm animals look like they're residing in this place. It's absolutely disgusting. But they have this ability to see what I cannot see. I can only see the mess. I can only see the holes and the cracks and the dislodged toilet. But they come in and they go, ah, oh, you know what we could do? If we just moved this wall, it would really open things up. If we just finished this floor, if we just reoriented the kitchen, then they can figure out a way to bring a masterpiece out of a mess. Frankly, I don't have that kind of vision, right? I wish that I had that kind of vision. That's why I love watching these shows, is, is watching the mess go to masterpiece. The transformation is absolutely remarkable to me. I wish I could see the way they see. 
But I don't just wish that I could see that when it comes to houses. I wish I saw people the same way. You know, I think that there's so many times in life that, that we interact with each other, and sometimes even our own interaction with ourselves, all we can see is the mess. You know, all we can see is that the mess we've made or the mistakes that have been made or, or the mess that somebody else has made of a situation, and we don't have the ability to see through it to see an opportunity that's beyond the mess. And I'm convinced, I'm convinced that God has that lens. I'm convinced that when it comes to you and I's life, that God has this ability to see through the mess. And aren't you glad that we have a God who can see through the mess? It, it's not like he's naive to the mess. He recognizes there's a mess, but he doesn't focus on the mess. He doesn't dwell on the mess. Kind of like those fixer-upper shows, he's able to see through it to a greater opportunity. God is in the business of making a mess into a masterpiece. And our heartbeat as a church has always been to create an environment and a place where it's okay to not be okay. Because we believe in a God that when we mess up, God doesn't turn us back on us. When we make a mistake that God doesn't just kind of push us aside, we believe in a God who sees the mess. He's not naive to it, but he can see through it to a much greater opportunity. And I pray that I can have the vision that God has when it comes to people. That, 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 that we are more than the mess that makes up our lives. I mean, real quickly, turn to somebody near you and say, there is more to me than the mess that you see. Real quickly, say that to them. There is more to me than the mess you see, right? And I truly believe that's true for all of us, that there is, there's more to us than sometimes the messiness that we find ourselves in. And that's why this series has been so important for us. We've been in this series for the last few weeks that's called I Need a Miracle. And for some of us, we walk into a room like this or we dial in online and, and we feel like to ourselves, man, we could really use a miracle. That the, the, that the statement of this series can become the theme of our life that we cry out to God, we say, I need a miracle. Now this whole series has been anchored in the Gospel of John. It's the fourth book of the New Testament written by Jesus, one of Jesus' closest friends, a guy by the name of John. And uh, John wrote this as this eyewitness account. It's a biography about everything that he saw Jesus teach and all that he saw that Jesus do. And in this biography that he wrote, he records seven different miracles that Jesus does. And each one of these miracles highlights some truths about Jesus and how God interacts in this world. And if we can lean into these truths about God, we might be able to experience some of his goodness in our lives. And so today we're going to lean into a miracle that's recorded for us in the book of John chapter 9. So if you've got a Bible, uh, you can go to the book of John chapter 9. The words will also show up on the screen. And as always, when you see the highlighted word on the screen, if you can read that out loud with me, shout it out, make sure you know that, that, I, that, that you're with me. So here we are, John chapter 9, we're going to be the very first verse. John gives us a little bit of background before he shows us this miracle. Here's what he says. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or was it because of his parents' sins? Well, that's a whopper of a question, isn't it? And so Jesus and his disciples, they, they, they rock up to this guy who's been born blind. He's, he's faced this physical ailment his entire life. Now, in the ancient world, it was particularly more difficult. There was a lot of hardship that was associated with any kind of disability. In the ancient world, somebody with a disability was often pushed to the side. They were kind of discarded. They were kind of pushed away. They weren't allowed to work or hold a job. They were really left to beg for any kind of means in life. Their basic needs were met by whatever begging they would be able to receive on that particular day. It was a hard life to walk in the shoes of this particular blind man. 
Now, what makes matters even more complicated is in the ancient world, they believed that somebody with that type of ailment was not only on the outside of people, that person was also pushed aside by God, feeling like that ailment was some sort of punishment that came from God. And so the stigma, the shame that weighted down anybody who had a disability like that would have been absolutely tremendous. And you can hear the worldview in the disciples as they rock up to this guy, they see this guy who'd been born blind, and they, they, they ask Jesus that very pointed question. He's obviously suffering. He's obviously struggling, Jesus. So whose fault is it? What is the reason that God is punishing this guy? Is it because he's messed up, or is it because his parents have messed up? In many ways, what I would describe is, is they're playing what I would call the blame game. Now, I don't think that's just an ancient game. In many ways, I think that we still play the blame game all the time. When we experience some sort of mess, whatever the mess might be in our world, more often than not, our first impulse is to point the finger at somebody. That we want to blame fault. We want to place fault on somebody's life. If somebody's going through some sort of relational hardship or maybe separation, even to divorce, the first instinct we have is to say, it's all his fault, or it's all her fault, or if we're you know, in some sort of financial difficulty. We're only here because this particular person overspent and wasn't aware of everything else was going on, or when we find even something to be troubling in our society, we will say, well, it's the fault of the government, or it's the fault of the school system. We're quick to blame a teacher, or a boss, or a coworker, or an ex, or whoever it may be. We play the blame game all the time. But what's interesting about this particular story is as the disciples begin to play the blame game, Jesus doesn't participate in the blame game. It's not that he's naive to the difficulty this particular individual is facing, but he's not one to place fault. Jesus is not, considered, is not concerned with dwelling in the mess. Jesus sees through the mess to a greater opportunity. I wish I had the sight of Jesus. Here's what he says in the very next verse. It says, it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the... So the power of God could be seen in him. And so the disciples asked this pointed question. Jesus, whose fault is it? I'll give you two options. A, his fault, or B, his parents' fault. Jesus says, let me think about it for a minute. I'm going to take C, neither. He said, this just happened because there's an opportunity for God's power to be on display. And isn't that like God? It's actually in moments of our own weakness that God's power is made present. It's actually in our, in our matters of shortcoming that sometimes you see God's most magnificent work. It's usually in the mess that's God's breeding ground for a masterpiece that's going to come. And so Jesus says, quit playing the blame game. Let's see through it to see something different. In many ways, he's setting the foundation for this miracle that's about to play. It's not about the mess. It's about the masterpiece. And so there's a couple pieces that we really learn in this particular miracle story that we learn about God. Here's the first principle we're really gonna lean into today, that God uses every normal means possible. That's what we'll see in this miracle, that God uses every normal means possible. So after basically saying it's not A or B, I'm going with C, neither, Jesus kind of launches into a little bit of theology, kind of fascinating. Here's what he says in the next verse. He says, we must quickly carry out the tasks assigned to us by the one who sent us. Night is coming, and then no one can work. But while I'm here in the world, I am the 
I'm the light of the world. Okay, Jesus, we just asked you a very straightforward question, and now you're giving us a lot of confusing theology. What in the world do you mean by all this? And basically what Jesus is getting at here is he's talking about the work of God has some urgency to it. And basically saying, as long as I'm here, I gotta be about the work of God. And in other words, he's saying, you know when the best time is to be about the work of God? Next Thursday at 3.30. No, uh, when it comes to the best time to be about the work of God is always now. It's always now. You know when the best time is to give your life over to the person of Christ? Now. You know when the best time is to, to do the very thing that God's asking you to do? Now, you're catching on. You know when the best time is to, to forgive somebody who's hurt you? Now, you know when the best time is to encourage somebody who, who needs some encouragement? You know when the best time is to, to give to somebody who has a need that that need becomes in front of you? The best time to do God's work is always now. The challenge is for some, for some of us, many times, we think, you know, I'll do that. I'll just do that someday. But the someday never happens. There's an urgency to the work of God. What's amazing about Jesus is most of his ministry, most of his miracle was never in his daytimer. It was never in his, his iPhone calendar, right? Uh, it, many times it was as he was going, it was as he was walking that a need would arise and he would respond in the now. When it comes to the work of God, it's always in the moment. It's always in the now. And he established this, this powerful theology that if you want to know what it's like to participate in God's work, it's always now. And he sets the foundation for this miracle. And then Jesus just does something, it's flat out weird. I have to read it to you, because it's just, it's just flat out weird. Here's what Jesus does next. Then he, sorry, we didn't have it up for you in time. Let's try that again. So then he, then he spit on the ground, made mud with his saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. What up with that, Jesus? I mean, imagine this from the perspective of the poor blind guy. What I'm told is if you lose one of your senses, it tends to heighten all of your other senses, right? And so because this guy is not able to see, most likely he's not only able to hear, he's able to hear very, very effectively. And imagine what it was really like to, to be in this guy's shoes as he hears that Jesus is coming to the area. He's heard about Jesus. He's even heard that Jesus performs miracles. He's heard that there are other people with blindness who've been healed of his blindness, and Jesus is now coming near. It, when they come very close, he hears that he's now the topic of conversation. And the shame that he has faced about the blame and the fault of, of his disability is being a topic of conversation. He hears Jesus releasing from the shame. What an amazing moment that was. He hears Jesus talking about, hey, man, there's some cool stuff that, that he's about God's work, that he's the light of the world. He's about to make this thing happen. And you just get this sense that this blind guy, his, his heart's racing. He's on the edge of his seat. This is about to be his moment. His life's about to change. His life's about to be an altogether different. And into this moment, this is the sound that he hears. <laughs> what? What do you even do next? Now, it even says that Jesus kind of made mud out of it. My guess is that doesn't happen out of one loogie. He probably had to do it a couple of different times. There's nothing like the Bible to gross you out a little bit, right? I don't know how many times he spent. Maybe it was a couple times. This blind man's got to be going, what in the world is going on? And then out of nowhere, this runny, 
muddy substance gets applied to your blind eyes. I thought this was going to be a good day. This is not feeling very good. In the, why in the world is Jesus doing what he's doing? Now think about it this way. Jesus could have healed him in any way that he wanted. He could have just spoken it and it could have happened. He could have just said, hey, you know, whammo, whatever. And it, it just would have been possible. But notice what he does. He uses every natural means necessary. Spit and mud to bring about a healing. I don't want to skip over that too fast because I actually feel like there's something really significant about that. A lot of times when we're in a place that we really need God's intervention in our life, typically we're looking for something significant. You know, when we think about, I need a miracle, and we're looking for a miracle, many, many times we're thinking about, you know, something spectacular, really something supernatural. We're, we're hoping that heaven parts little fairy dust, like, comes down. Like, we're looking for something really, really significant. And I find that oftentimes, some of God's greatest work are in the small, seemingly insignificant, seeming very natural things are the very things that God ends up using. Spit and mud is what God ends up using. Never underestimate the simplest and the smallest things can be the very thing that God uses to perform his miracle. It reminds me of a, of a number of years ago, I was at this large Christian conference. I was, I was working at the conference. Uh, one of the jobs that I had at this conference was to take care of some of the speakers that were coming in to speak at the conference. Uh, the guy that was speaking at the, the very end, he was the closer for the conference, was a very, very well-known Christian pastor of the time. And uh, he was a very hot, highly sought after guy. So I was very excited to pick him up at the airport and to spend a little bit of time with him to get him to the stage and let him speak. And then I was his ride back to the airport. Now, I was told in preparation that he had a very, very tight window between his two flights, that he was literally going to come out of the car onto the stage, preach the message, back to the car, back to the airport. I was also told that I needed to run a little bit of security for him, so that if anybody was really trying to talk to him or, 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 or try to uh, you know, get a conversation with him, that I needed to say, you know, he really doesn't have time, uh, we gotta get him to the airport, that kind of thing. Now, as much as I was prepped to be security, they should have known better to put me in charge of security. Uh, I'm five foot eight, 140 pounds soaking wet, I don't intimidate a third grader, right? But nevertheless, I was doing my best, you know, trying to do my job, right? And so he got done speaking. I met him right at the corner of the stage. I was on a mission to get him back to where he needed to go. So we even went backstage. We were going down this hallway when all of a sudden this guy literally jumped out of nowhere, jumped in our path when he said this pastor's name. And he says, hey, can I have a conversation with you? And this is the moment that I was supposed to say, that's not possible. We're on our way. We got to get there. But instead what came out of my mouth was, sure, no problem. Go right ahead. And so this guy launched into this story, and he looked at this pastor, and he said, eight years ago, I was on the tarmac, or, or eight years ago, you were on the tarmac of Mozambique, Africa, in this airport. Uh, there was a guy that was handling your luggage that had just become a follower of Jesus, and you had a conversation with this guy, and you asked him how he'd become a new follower of Jesus. He told you about an American missionary that was living in Mozambique, Africa, and had invested in, in him, and you were so encouraged by that, that you took out a piece of paper and you wrote that missionary a note just as a way to encourage him. And then he looked at this pastor and he said, I am that missionary. 
here's the note you wrote me eight years ago. And I was just jaw on the floor, you know, watching this thing going, aren't you glad that I allowed this to play out? You're welcome, right? <laughs> but then he, he, this missionary, he, he said, this pastor, he said, you will never know what that meant in my life. He said, I was so lost, I was so lonely, I was so isolated, I felt like nobody in the world cared for me. And when that note came to me, it was almost as if I heard God say, I see you, I care for you, you're not alone. For me, that note was a miracle. And he said, will you sign the note again? It was this beautiful, beautiful moment. And I think that so many times, again, when it comes to God's miracles, we're looking for something so big, so grandiose, so supernatural. But sometimes the supernatural happens through the everyday. That God uses every natural means necessary. Spit and mud to bring about his great work in our lives. You know, every natural means necessary, that means a handwritten note, an encouraging word, an intentional conversation, an invitation to invite somebody to experience Easter at Central. How about Christmas at Central? Easter also, but that's a little bit later. A gift to somebody who has a need. A sponsorship for a child when it comes to hope for children. The things that we sometimes think are so simple, so almost mundane, can many times be the very vehicle that God uses to bring about the miraculous in people's lives. Never underestimate the simple things that God will use, spit and mud, to transform somebody's life. God will use every natural means necessary. But the second principle is also really important. There's sometimes that, well not just sometimes, God always infuses his power into these moments. Uh, that God infuses his power. That we recognize as simple as things may be, when it comes to life change, we're not responsible for life change, right? When life change truly happens, that's, a, that's an act of God. And so there are limitations to our power. There are no limitations when it comes to the power of God. Uh, it it kind of reminds me of, of, of this summer, I, I had the opportunity to take my boys fishing. My boys love fishing. I hate fishing, but, but my boys love it. And so I'm learning as a dad that I'm, I'm trying to like the stuff that my kids like. And so uh, we went fishing, you know, on a number of occasions throughout the summer. Now, there was one time that we were fishing. We were fishing off this dock, and, and we were fishing at this particular pond. And my boys were catching quite a few fish. And so I was the camera guy. When they would pull one out of the water, you know, I'd snap a photo. I would try to get just the right angle so the fish appeared bigger than it actually was. So when we told the fish story, people might believe us. And so, you know, I was really trying to work on, on that. And there came this moment where my youngest son, Austin, said, hey, Dad, I want to take the pictures. I said, no problem. So we put the iPhone in, in my younger son's hand, and he was the picture guy, and he was taking the pictures. Well, older brother got a big fish on the line. And so we were pretty pumped about it, but as he got it close to the surface, he started yelling, hey, I need somebody to get the net so they could scoop the fish out of the water. And so my youngest son took the phone that he was in his hand and he put it right on the edge of the dock to run to get the net for his brother. He grabs the net and in haste comes back and as he's throwing the net into the water, he hits the phone off the dock into the water. Now I'm told that iPhone 8s are water resistant. We were about to push that to the test, right? It, it goes all the way to the bottom. 
And he knew immediately that he kicked it in the bottom. And so we were like, oh, crud, how, how do we get this out of, out of this pond? It wasn't a deep pond, but it was kind of a murky pond. You didn't really want to get in yourself, even though it wasn't that deep. So we're trying to figure out, can we reach it with the net? But the net was not quite long enough to, to actually get there. So we're trying to figure out, like, what, what do we do in, the, in this moment? And there's, there's a couple that was with us that they had a rake in their car. Who keeps a rake in their car? I'm not really sure. That's a story for another day. But we thought we would, like, create a device that would extend the net. So we took the, the, the pole of the rake, we used fishing line, and we tied the net to it. I think I brought a picture of it with me. And we used it to create kind of an extendo net. So here's the extendo net. Next picture. There you go. So we have the tool. I'm talking every natural means possible, right? And so my, my, my son says, I'm going to get it. And so he takes this big, long extension net, and he dips it in, and he got the phone, but there was no way to get the phone without also getting a little sand at the bottom as well. And his poor little young arms could not lift it out of the water. He just couldn't do it. Everything that he tried, the sand just made it too. He couldn't lift it. He did not have the power to do what needed to be done. He needed somebody a little stronger. Somebody borderline freakishly strong. Maybe ridiculously good looking at the same time. So it's a really good thing my wife was there. And so she got there. And my wife pulled that thing, you know, right out of the water. But there are these moments in life, right, that, that, that we don't have the power to do what needs to be done. Now, just so you know, that iPhone worked for about 15 minutes and then it was no longer water resistant. But... But there are moments in life that, that we don't have the power or capability to do certain things. And I'm very aware as a, as a human being that there are things that I can do and there are things that I can't do. When it comes to life change and the things that we're describing here, when it even comes to the miraculous, there are things that I can do. I can love people well, I can encourage people well, I can challenge people well, sometimes I can inspire people well, but what I cannot do is I cannot change a human heart. I'm not capable of it, it's not within my power. And so if somebody experiences life change, if somebody's heart's change, somebody experiences transformation, it was not by my power, it was by power of our one true God. God is the one that brings life change. So even if it's through the natural, even if it's through the simple, even if it's through the things that may be undamed, if that creates life change in the life of somebody else, that was not because of my power, that was because of the power of God. God infuses his power, sometimes through the simple and the natural, to do supernatural things in people's life. It's mud and spit. But it's God's power through it that makes all the difference in the world. It, it kind of reminds me uh, of this idea. Uh, I, I've got, you know, what's up here, the, you know, dirt, and this is not spit. I didn't spend all of before the service to fill that with spit. That's just, just water. Uh, but I think about these two elements. It's the two elements that Jesus used in this particular miracle, water and dirt. What's interesting about these two things, uh, these are highly symbolic things within the context of Scripture. Uh, if you just do a word search for dirt and dust, it shows up hundreds of times in Scripture. You even take, trace it all the way back to Genesis when, when God was creating everything. He spoke everything into existence except for humanity. He actually created humanity out of dust, out of dirt. Uh, what's interesting about that is all throughout Scripture, dirt comes to symbolize the messiness, the brokenness, the reality of, of us as humanity. But water represents life. All the way through scripture, 
water represents life. Even more specifically, by the time we get to the Gospel of John, it represents life that's brought to us by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. So the truth is, what happens in our life is our life can be messy. I mean, our marriages at times can be messy. Our work, places where it can be messy. Our finances can be messy. The addiction we're battling with can be messy. Our lives sometimes feel incredibly messy, incredibly dirty. But here's the beautiful thing about God. God has this way of pouring his life into our marriage. God has this way of pouring his life into that time of addiction and bringing freedom. God has this ability to bring life where we feel so dark. God pours his life into us. The beautiful thing about this picture is this, is you and I know this, that with the right elements, with the right things planted, when you pour water into dirt over time, it creates life. And I'm convinced of this. When our mess meets God's grace over time, it will lead to new life. I understand that for some of us, our marriage, our relationships, they're messy. Yield yourself to God's grace. I understand that there's other situations, medically speaking, or whatever it may be, that feel so messy, but I'm convinced that our mess, plus God's grace over time, my friends, it can lead to new life. Uh, that, that was the experience of this, this blind man. It was, it was water and dirt. It was mud and spit that God used to bring a miracle. Look, look how this short passage concludes uh, with this kind of last principle that, that God ultimately he invites us to participate. He, God invites us to participate. Look how this, this, this parable or the, this story ends. It says, so Jesus told him, go, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means sent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. So peculiar, right? Jesus has already rubbed saliva, mud, spit stuff in his eyes and then he just sends him away. Doesn't even send a disciple with him. Basically says, hey, just go wash yourself. It's almost like a DIY miracle that he could, gotta go do it yourself. Seems a little odd, seems a little peculiar. But I think it actually highlights a really powerful principle. It's the principle of empowerment that you see all the way through Jesus' life and ministry. You see it all the way through the Bible. The truth is about God. God does not see us as a victim. God invites us to be a participant. He never sees us as a victim. It, no matter what our mess is, no matter what, 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 what difficulty we find ourselves in, he never sees us as a victim. He sees through it to the opportunity that God can make our mess and turn it into a masterpiece, but he invites us to be a participant in that. We're not spectators. We're not onlookers. God invites us to be present. God invites us to be a participant in it. For some of us, we're stuck in a cycle of bitterness. We can't figure out our way out. The miracle will come when we receive the forgiveness that comes from my great God. That, that power of bitterness will be loosened. It will happen miraculously. And then God will invite you to participate. Participate in his great work as you extend that forgiveness to the lives of others. For some of us, we find ourselves shackled in addiction. It is holding us down. And by the power of God's grace, we set ourselves in certain environments. We allow his grace to pour into our lives over and over again. He loosens the shackle of the those addictions, we begin to experience some freedom in it. It's a beautiful, beautiful movement, but he won't leave you there. He will invite you to participate, to participate in that freedom and to participate extending that freedom to the lives of others. We are not victims. We're invited to be participants in God's great work 
in our world. It's a beautiful story. It's actually one of my favorite miracles in all the scripture of God just using normal, everyday, simple things to bring about supernatural transformation in the life of someone that he loves. I don't believe that's a story that just happened. I believe it's a story that continues to happen. That God continues to be a God that uses simple, sometimes ignored, often mundane. God uses every natural means necessary. Infusing a power that only comes from him. Inviting us to be a participant in his great work in our life and through our life. I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced that every single one of us that's here, you're not here by a mistake. And I don't know what brought you here. I don't know what, what caused you to dial in online this particular week. But I think you're here not by happen chance. You're here because God uses the simple, everyday, normal things to do his great work in your life. And maybe today is the day where God invites you to be a participant. And maybe today is the day that you say yes to him for the very first time, that you're not gonna do that someday, you're gonna do that today, that today becomes the day, becomes the defining transformational moment in your journey. And maybe he will use just a simple prayer, simple, nothing magical about it, but a simple prayer of surrender becomes the catalyst of something significant. If you'd like to become a follower of Jesus, I'm just gonna say a simple prayer. If you wanna surrender your life to him, I just invite you to pray the words of this prayer after me, God inviting you to participate in his great work in your life. Would you bow your heads, pray with me. Jesus, thank you for loving me. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I believe you rose again. Jesus, forgive me for my sin. Give me the gift of eternal life. Help me overcome the challenges I'm up against. I surrender my life to you. In Christ's name. With every head bowed, with every eye closed, if you made that commitment, if you surrendered to him, if you chose to be a participant in his great work in your life, if you just acknowledge that commitment by just placing your hand in the air, if you're watching at one of our central locations, if you're joining us online or through our partnership with God Behind Bars, just raise your hand in the air. It's a simple acknowledgement to God himself. Father, for all the hands that are reaching out to you, Father, I just ask that you'd reach right back to them, that they would sense your presence they would see your work. That Father, sometimes we look for your work in the grandiose, spectacular, supernatural things, but God, may we not be people that miss your work through the simple, seemingly ordinary things. But through that, God, may we experience you really drawing near to us and doing a great work in us. God, we do need a miracle. We need your power to be actively at work in our lives, and so God, we give our lives to you, and we ask that you'd work in a way that only you can. We surrender that to you in, in Christ's name, amen.
Let's give it up for those who made spiritual decisions today. I wanna take a moment, I wanna send it back to our location pastors who are gonna send us out today.